It's raining. So can we talk a little bit of, oh, so I wanted to read this book really quick. Uh, have you ever heard of uh, Geshe Kelsang Gyatso? Nope. He's a Buddhist guy, but uh, he's, he has these, these uh, a lot, he has Buddhist temples around the country. Like it's, I think it's called like Kadampa. It's like one of the most famous, most popular Buddhist places, but he has a lot of books. But any thoughts? Any Anyone near Seattle? Probably. They're all over the country. Mm. They usually have big golden Buddha idols. <clears throat> mm. I think. Yeah. Any thoughts? No. But I wanted to say though. Um, so we're talking about these this idea of like the mind and stuff, right? So I was thinking like, okay, a lot of these people are talking about like manifestation, and yes, we don't we don't want to uh, discount that. You know, there's, there's manifestation and stuff, but then at the same time, yeah. So, so certainly you can manifest things, but, but then some people take it to extreme. Like they say, you manifest everything, but even in a dream, do you manifest your dream in a way you do, but in a way you don't also it's beyond your control. And there's some, you know, there's, there's also the, the subconscious Freudian Oedipal dynamics that are going on and even Jungian dynamics that it, are you, are you responsible for those dynamics or or is that an aspect of a more fundamental elemental reality that you're just partaking in? And, and you know what I mean? Yeah, well, you can get all kinds of answers to that. The only thing I'm <coughs> reasonably certain about is that we create our own experience of everything. I don't know that we create everything, but, but we certainly create. Even that, I I don't know if you know to, to make to make these generalizations and, and there, there's some things that you make an experience of and some things you don't like. You, there, there's things like illusions where you, if you look at a waterfall for a long time and you look in the other way, it'll it'll look like things are moving. Are are you was that you who created that experience? That's something that's ingrained in you that you have no control over. That's a part of your your the 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 way that reality. Now, some people would say it's part of your brain, but then other people will question if there even is a brain. All you know is consciousness. But regardless, you experiencing that, did you manifest that? Or is that something that's already, you have a predisposition toward that that's already, you know. So so, so what I'm saying is, yeah, maybe there's some things where, where you you create your experience, but also in other ways, not. And, and there's all these gradations. You know, any thoughts on that? No, uh, all I'm saying is the only thing I'm reasonably certain. I'm not saying this is true. The okay, only thing I'm reasonably certain I, I about. I see what you're it, saying though. That is that. Definitely. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, all I'm saying is I'm reasonably certain that <clears throat> how I interpret the story I tell myself about what I my sense my senses contact. The story I create, I create that. I don't create. But who's the you that that's doing it? Who's the you that's you now? I'm, I would I would question that. And the thing is, though, yeah. Do 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 you really have even control over that? Oh, but I understand what you're saying. Well, it's best to try to take responsibility, and that's going to lead to the most existentially valid thing to try to take control of your own story and take responsibility. But even that, even you. I don't know if you have control over it. I think that your your notion that you should do that is also something that you don't control. Maybe it's ingrained in you as a white male. 
or as something, you know, within the matrix, quote unquote, white, but not necessarily white, but you know what I mean? Within, within the dynamic structure of the matrix that, that you, that you adopted that outlook, but there's other people with different outlooks that they say that you don't have control over that. And it's more based off genes and stuff, how you look at the world. But I understand what you're saying. But yeah, take responsibility and go all out and do all that and and try not to get caught up in the story or whatever. And that's all you have responsibility over and that's all you can control. And I'm reasonably certain about that, whatever that means. But yeah, okay, I understand that that's an existentially valid way to look at it, but it might not even be accurate. But okay, whether it's accurate or not, it's existentially valid. It leads to good results, apparently, maybe. Any thoughts of that? Yeah. That's, that's that's my current that's understanding. Your thing. That's your thing. But but the thing is, yep. so so what I'm getting at is, but even like in a dream, okay, so so you, yeah, manifesting, okay, I understand the the merit of this, and that's what the existentialists are all about. Yeah, take responsibility. You have free will. Don't be a slave to your circumstances and to reality. Take take responsibility and and take the world by the by its horns, you know whatever. <clears throat> okay, that might be an existentially valid way to look at it. <clears throat> I'm not a slave to my fate, whatever. Okay. Maybe. And, and, and what, and okay. But in, in whether you take, it could be your fate that you'd adopted that stance though. It, that could be a part of the fate. And, and, you know, like that, that's what the, that's what the, like the Pharisees talk about. They say that you have free will and things are determined. So it was determined that you will adopt that free will stance, that existentialist stance. Oh, I'm going to take responsibility. Okay. Well, and, and I'm not going to be a slave to fate. Well, still, that's a part of fate. That, but fate allowed you to have that stance, and that's, and then you you played out your role with that stance. Like, any thoughts of that? Well, that's certainly a possibility. Yes. Mm-hmm. But anyways, but what, what I'm getting at though is, yeah. So, regardless, that, that, that might be the best way to look at it, but maybe not. Also, but 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 what I'm getting at though is, there there still is absolutes. And there still is the quadrant and, and things are expressing through the quadrant. And, and, you know, so like another absolute would be the flow, but then people say, well, no, the flow is an absolute. Some people say that they don't even believe in the flow. Okay. But, but then you would say, no, it's an absolute that there is the truth and there is the flow, but other people say, no, I don't believe in that. But even that is an absolute that they don't believe in that. Why? Because the flow is the fourth quadrant and the fourth quadrant is always different and doesn't seem to belong. So even the fact that people question it is a part of an absolute within the quadrant model. So the, 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 the ultimate absolute is the quadrant. But any thoughts on that? Well, maybe that's not true either, but it could be. Well, if, if you look at all the, the, I don't think that you have, but if you look at all the evidence, I, I have this stuff posted and stuff. It, it is well, an let absolute me, let, let me repeat repeat what I said. It's very clear you have overwhelming evidence to prove that existence manifests itself in quadrant patterns. There's absolutely no question about that. It's not just that it manifests itself. It's like, yeah, but yeah, go ahead. No, that's, that's my understanding. Yeah, but any other thoughts on that? No. Yeah, that, that's the ultimate, the ultimate with a capital U. But regardless the cross, you know, but, um, but yeah, so, so See, or maybe that, maybe, maybe that's your, your, uh, your frame of reference, your, your working premise. 
No, 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 but, but I have all the evidence. Maybe it's, yeah, you have to look at, maybe it's not did, did you look at, did you look at my, maybe it's uh, not true. Quadramalofreality.tumblr. Or did you look at quadramalofreality.com? I have, go to the Facebook, yeah. go to the Facebook links pages and I have a lot more links now. So go to the other links. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I come up with the same, same observation that, that that's your working premise and, okay, and cool. other people have other working premises. The question is, which one is true? Maybe they're all working premises. No, but yeah, but this one is true. It's, it's indisputable, but maybe, no, it is, it is. And people already acknowledged it. A lot of people maybe. have. Maybe. Yeah. But I, I would say it's, it's pretty absolute. But anyway, I know you. I know, would, and you're saying maybe. I know, and I, know that, I know that it's absolute that you would say maybe too for a variety of reasons. And I'm not gonna, it, I'm not gonna say the reasons like like Noah also is that way because he's an INFJ, and he and INFJs absolutely tend to be like, oh, things are too complex. They can't see the the simplicity and the the, the truth because they want to still be within the matrix of believing things are complex, and in random. No, I don't believe. But, I don't believe things are complex. Or, or no, random. I know that there's absolute. I I, I, no, I don't believe they're right. I know there is absolute truth. Absolutely, I know that. No, oh, yeah, no, no, but but it's just a quadrant. That's what it is. And 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 people's well, different, your, people's different perspectives. People's different perspectives still are fitting within the quadrant, and they they believe they're different things as a as a result of the quadrant's necessity to have different relational aspects. But anyways, what I was going to get at though is that. Yeah, people have different. Uh, so so yeah, be, people will be like, okay, we manifest everything. Okay, you manifest everything, but 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 still, there there's the, the quadrant. You know, the, the four is being shown as supreme. And and what about the idea of surprises? You know, things that happen that weren't expected. Did you manifest that surprise or that thing that happened that wasn't expected? You know, and, and there's things that that happened that you had no clue was going to happen. So did you manifest that? You know, people take things to too much of extremes, but also maybe they, maybe it is true. You do manifest everything, but at the same time, maybe it's not And the contradictions are true. But my point is though, too, like pe people may are too simplistic in a lot of ways. So for instance, like some person will be like, oh yeah, let's not adopt any identities. So there's uh, no such thing as a uh, mental illness. There's no like bipolar or schizophrenia. And also there's no such thing as race, like black people or white people. And there's also no such thing as gender, like male and female and stuff. Okay, but then they also make false equivalences in it becomes annoying when you have people who are simplistic and are just being annoying. So then you're trying to equate and make the false analogy between men and between gender and mental illness or, or race and mental illness or race and gender when there's differences. And I'll, any thoughts of that? Oh, that's true. And I was thinking like, but I was thinking about when people invoke God, what are they invoking? God is the truth. And that's the truth without a filter. That's the truth with a capital T. And that's the, and that is beyond any of your contaminated perspectives that are not accurate, that are based around your shitty ideas, but it's a capital T truth. And that's what people are invoking. Any thoughts of that? And that includes yeah. nuances. And that includes the nuances and that includes yeah, the yeah. agendas that you have when you're saying, oh, oh yeah, the, 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 yeah, it's true that it is true that there's, there's absolutes and that a part of mental illness is, is malingering 
and also suggestibility and expectation effect. And these, and, and also that happens in race too, where there's stereotype effect or someone will be like, oh yeah, black people are this way. So then they act that way or yeah, that, that there's absolute aspects of that. But then there's also <laughs> to, to completely deny race is, is also not accurate, but also, but so there's these nuances, but the truth that takes into account all of the gradations is God. And that's what people are invoking. And that's the people who are like, hey, quit it with your fucking bullshit, you spiritual guy who's like, oh, don't talk, like I'm thinking like mom and dad, don't talk about the past. Well, God with the capital G, the truth, knows what's going on and sees beyond the spiritual bullshit. Any thoughts of that? Yeah. Yeah, that's just another way of saying there is absolute truth. So the question is, is God an intelligence or is, or, or are we just intelligences within God or both? Any thoughts of that? Possibly both. <clears throat> now, now, now the thing is like, all we, all we can really be certain of is that there's consciousness, that there's intelligence. Because that's because we, I cannot be certain that there's an external world. All I know is my experience of the external world. Any thoughts of that? That's true. <clears throat> All right. So so now I'm going to start reading this uh, Geshe Kelsang Gyatso. The reason why I went on that I went on that uh, kind of rant or kind of uh, detour or or just like long, um, exp, you know, w w what's the word I'm looking for? That uh, that dialogue. That dialogue or, or, or pontification about the mind and stuff is because that's what we're, we're going to talk about right now. So this book's called Understanding the Mind. All right, ready to grab it? Yeah. So it says, acknowledgments. This book, Understanding the Mind, is a comprehensive explanation of the mind based on the experiences of accomplished med meditators. Traditionally, Buddhist books on the mind are written from the point of view of Sadrantika Buddhist school, an intermediate view taught by Buddha for the sake of disciples who could not immediately grasp his final view. And therefore, such books are difficult to relate to meditative experiences. Any thoughts? No. So uh, Geshe or, or, or Gyatso talks about uh, four Buddhist schools. And again, so what he's saying is that there's, there's what, you know, it, it's, it's idea of the raft that there's you know, even like the Buddhists, the Buddhists say like, okay, they gave this raft that can get you across to the other side of the ocean, but you have to discard the raft. That's what Buddhism is. And it's just like, it's something that can, it's a tool that can be used, but there's an ultimate truth even greater. And that's the quadrant and, and Buddhism is just the first quadrant. You know what I mean? So all I'm saying is that, yeah, one school is going to say one thing. Okay. Everything's the mind. And the other school says, no, everything is physical. And, but they're all different, different aspects of the quadrant. There's the four schools. Any thoughts of that? No, logical. So it says this book, however, is written from the point of view of Prasangika Buddhist school, which expresses Buddha's final intention. As such, it is a unique and practical guide for those who seek to develop their minds through sincere study and meditation. From the depths of our hearts, we thank the author, Venerable Geshe Kelsang Gyatso, for his inconceivable kindness in composing this book, which provides for uh, mediators in the West, a uh, definitive exposition of the nature, types, and functions of the mind. The author assisted in the initial stages of editing. Okay, okay, cut through that. 
Okay, introduction. The subject of this book is the mind. It is very important to have a correct understanding of the nature and functions of the mind because this special knowledge will open the door to liberation for us. In the sutras in the Mahamudra scripture, it says, if you realize your own mind, you will become a Buddha. You should not seek Buddhahood elsewhere. Any thoughts? You should not take Buddhahood elsewhere? You should not seek Buddhahood elsewhere. Yeah. No, no thoughts. So why is that? Why do you think that's true? I don't know. I guess that's, if you want to understand something, you can't go someplace else to try to understand it. You got to go straight to the horse's mouth. Using, using the mind to understand the mind. But that's all that we can understand is the mind because even our experiences is still based around the mind. You know what I mean? Any thoughts of that? Yeah. But, but Buddhism is the first quadrant world religion out of the four world religions. And it's actually the first quadrant is, a, is the mind, is the mind quadrant. Whereas Christianity is more about like homeostasis and, and Islam is more about action. And Hinduism is more about philosophy, which is the fourth quadrant. You know, any thoughts? No. So I would say Hinduism kind of like incorporates all of it and tries to bring, make sense out of it all, bringing it all together. So it says, this instruction is very profound. It indicates that there are many different levels on which we can understand the mind. We can understand the gross minds, the subtle minds, and the very subtle mind. And we can understand each of these either intellectually through a generic image or directly through experience. Any thoughts? No. To begin with, we can understand, just coming off if you have anything to say, but understand these different levels of mind intellectually by studying this book in authentic uh, commentaries to Vajrayana Mahamudra, <coughs> such as clear light of bliss. <clears throat> then on the basis of understanding, we can gain direct experience of the gross, subtle, and very subtle minds by engaging in the special meditation practices explained in Vajrayana Mahamudra. When we realize our very subtle mind directly, we will attain the higher realization of clear light, and we will then be very close to becoming a Buddha. So soon this realization will transform into the omniscient wisdom of a Buddha, and we will become a great enlightened being. If we understand clearly the nature of our mind, we will definitely realize that the continuum of our mind does not cease when we die, and then the, there will be no basis for doubting the existence of our future lives. If we realize the, any thoughts? No. We realize the existence of our future lives. We will naturally be concerned for our welfare and happiness in those lives. And we will use this present life to make appropriate preparations. Well, that seems a little bit self-confirmatory to me. Just that whole concept that he just, uh, uh, this wasn't, uh, this wasn't Gyatso who said that. This is the person who's doing the introduction, but that does seem a little self-confirmatory. Like, oh, because we're going to worry about our future lives. It's, it's kind of a focus on a separate self. What, what, any thoughts of that? Yeah, it certainly has that implication. So it says, this will prevent us from wasting our precious human life on the preoccupations of this life alone. And, and I was thinking too about like Kant, Grandpa. Like Kant says that, you know, that there, there is constraints and there is boundaries to, to consciousness and reality and that our mind and reality conform to each other. And, and so there can only be a world with like three spatial dimensions and one, one time dimension, the three plus one. And you say that you can't imagine anything other than that because nothing else can exist. Now I was thinking like, it's the same thing with like a dream. Can you imagine a dream where there's like five, six spatial dimensions? You can't. And that's a part of like the, the limitation in my opinion of, of the people who, who talk about like, oh, you just manifest everything. No, there's, there's constraints and stuff. And I would say the quadrant is the ultimate like 
you know, molder. And you still have to work within these boundaries. Any thoughts on that? No, that's certainly a possibility. So it says, uh, in the per in the perfection of wisdom sutras and in many other scriptures, it says that all phenomena are like dreams. This means that just as all things experienced in a dream are mere appearances to mind, so all beings, their environment, their enjoyments, and all other phenomena are mere appearances to mind. This is not easy to understand at first, but we can develop some understanding by contemplating as follows. When we are awake, many different things exist. But when we fall asleep, they cease because the mind to which they appear ceases. Any thoughts? No. During our dreams, we become a dreamer. And at that time, the only thing that appear are dream objects. Later, when we awake, these dream objects cease because the mind to which they appear ceases. Other than this, there is no specific reason why they should cease. If we think deeply about this, we will understand how all phenomena are mere appearances to our mind, just like objects in a dream. Any thoughts? Yeah, well, I think that's what we were saying, that, that we create our own story, our own version, our own interpretation with their minds. That's what he's saying. Yeah, so so I, but I, we're, we're, we're going to see how extreme this gets because could it be just, okay, I understand, I think that you kind of, gravitate more to the notion of yes there is an external reality but our minds filter it and you know affect it and all that but then you know but you can go so far in the dream to say that there is no difference between your mind and external reality and your mind actually changes the external reality and you know what i mean in the mind's more primary like in a dream your mind you, you are creating the dream your mind but then again are you really creating the dream or is there something higher that's creating the dream? Is it just random firings of the brain? How, how are you really responsible for that? And maybe there's, you know, there's, there's layers and there's levels. Maybe in some ways you're manifesting in some ways you're not, you know, any thoughts? Yeah, that certainly could be. <clears throat> um, at this point, I'm contemplating that that uh, there is no uh, separate external reality. There's only the one idea in the mind of God, and that everything is that I is an expression of that idea, and everything expresses that idea. Yeah, the way the way that I look at it is 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 it gets even more fundamental that everything is the quadrant's expression. So there is one, but then the quadrant brings about the variability of the oneness, but there is one. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it could be. Then we will realize that we can cause all the unpleasant things that we dislike to see simply by abandoning impure states of mind. And we can cause all the good things that we desire to rise simply that by developing a pure mind. In this way, we will be able to fulfill all our wishes. Therefore, understanding the mind is a real wish-fulfilling jewel. Any thoughts? No, I mean, I mean, that's possible if it is, we're, if we are going to that extreme and saying that we do create, I mean, that mind and reality are, are, are super linked. Then yes, if you purify your mind, then you will create, you can manifest a, a more beautiful reality. But then again, 
To what extent? Can you create a reality with seven dimensions? Maybe not. Maybe that can't is possible. Like any thoughts of that? Yeah, maybe not. And then someone will say, well, there isn't a reality with seven dimensions. That's string theory. But think about it. That's not really. That's, there, those are three main spatial dimensions and the fourth main time dimension and, and then curled up other dimensions that we have no capacity to even recognize. I'm talking about, you know, so so some people, they, they go too far with, with their extrapolations. Like any thoughts of that? Yeah. So it says, although everyone has a mind, most of us have only a vague understanding of its nature and functions. For example, if we have not trained in Dharma, we will probably know very little about the different types of mind, how they are generated and how and what <coughs> effect they have on our lives. We will not be able to distinguish virtuous minds from non-virtuous minds, and we will not know how to cultivate the former and abandon the latter. Any thoughts? No. I would say that what's, what's like in, instrumental and essential for that is understanding transpersonal uh, metapsychiatry of self-confirmatory versus non-self-confirmatory. Any thoughts that? Yeah. So it says, why is it necessary to understand all this? The reason is that all <clears throat> happiness and suffering depend upon the mind. And so if we want to avoid suffering and find true happiness, <clears throat> we need to understand how the mind works and use that understanding to bring our mind under control. <clears throat> Only in this way can we improve the quality of our life, both now and in the future. Any thoughts? No. I mean, you would say that that's all you can do. Take responsibility for that. In your, in your circumstances, in your environment, you can't do anything about that, but you can change your mind. But at the same time, other people would say, well, with the, the, sometimes the environment puts constraints on that. And, and if someone has a, a terrible environment where he has been beaten up and he's eating you know, terrible food every day and he has you know, brain dysatrophy or brain atrophy and stuff, neur neuronal atrophy, then how is he going to, you know, then, then he can't think straight and he can't upgrade his consciousness. Any thoughts of that? Yeah, well, I think uh, Krishna, as I read this book that you recommended to me, would say that, uh, yeah, that's a hap that's fine and there's, there's no big deal about it. Just go ahead and die and come back again. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts there? No. It says, in recent years, our understanding and control of the external world have increased considerably and as a result, we have witnessed remarkable material progress, but there has not been a corresponding increase in human happiness. There is no less suffering in the world today, and there are no fewer problems. Indeed, it might be said that there are now more problems and greater unhappiness than ever before. This shows that the cause of happiness and the solution to our problems does not lie in knowledge or control of the external world. Happiness and suffering are states of mind, and so their main causes are not to be found outside the mind. If we want to truly ha be truly happy and free from suffering, we must improve our understanding of the mind. Any thoughts? No. Yeah. So I, you know, I was thinking like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that is definitely it, it can definitely help and stuff. But but I, one thing I don't like sometimes is when people are like, yeah, you know, okay, your your reality sucks. It's just because your mind is not right and stuff. But yes, it's true. If if you upgrade your consciousness, you can affect reality a lot. And, and abundance can come and stuff like that. But at the same time, like the, the, the factor, like I lost the swag flow and, and the, you know, I hopefully want to get the DVDs and stuff like those external things do help. 
Okay, well, hopefully I can manifest that. And maybe it is true that these things can be manifested and stuff. And, and, and this idea of burning desires can manifest things, you know. But there's so many complexities maybe, but maybe there's not. Maybe it's so simple. Any thoughts? Yeah, it could be either way, yeah. So it says, when things go wrong in our life and we encounter difficult situations, we tend to regard the situation itself as a problem. But in reality, whatever problems we experience come from uh, the side of the mind. If we were to respond to difficult situations with a positive or peaceful mind, they would not be problems for us. Indeed, we may even come to regard them as challenges or opportunities for growth and development. Any thoughts on that? I think I've always, I've, I think I've always taken that perspective. Like even when like things were bad, I, I would be like, okay, this is opportunity for growth, you know. But at the same time, I don't oh, want to yeah. be too idealistic. I think that some things are tragic to happen, you know, to shoot away and stuff. But at the same time, I say, well, it helped because then I got the quadrant stuff and the, all the philosophy with you. But at the same time, I don't want to destroy the world by making them think about swag flow too much. You know, I don't want to describe what it is, you know. But any thoughts on that? No. So, you, you know, you, you have to be considerate and, and a little bit apprehensive and, and humble in the way that you interact. Any thoughts of that? Yeah, that's true. Did, did I screw things up or no? No. There are consequences. You got stuck in the mud, but anybody can can be extracted from the mud but i don't want to put stuck the whole world in the mud you know yeah did i stick the whole world in the mud <laughs> that's boasting so it says problems arise only if we respond to difficulties with a negative state of mind therefore if we want to be free from problems we must learn to control our mind buddha taught that the mind has the power to create all pleasant and unpleasant objects this is a view held in common by all four buddhist schools <clears throat> the two Hinayana schools, the Vaibhashikas and the Sautranikas, and the two Mahayana schools, the Chitmadnirchans and the Madhmamikas. According to this view, the world is the result of the karma or actions of the beings who inhabit it. A pure world is a result of pure action, and an impure world is a result of impure actions. Since all actions are created by mind, ultimately everything, including the world itself is created by mind. There is no creator other than mind. Buddhists believe that this because they rely upon the explanations given by Buddha. Any thoughts? No. <clears throat> Normally we say I created such and such or he or she created such and such, but the actual creator of everything is the mind. What do you think about that? Any thoughts? Well, in my current understanding that everything is an expression of the idea in the mind of God. Yeah, so, I mean, this this could be giving too much power to the mind or, or too much importance to the mind when, you know, even like in that in that book that you were reading, the, or the, the Sridhar Maharaj, he says that the mind is Maya because it's a part of the, the, the world that, that Brahma made, and so it's Maya. And and also the world is Maya, but at the same time, they're also not Maya. They're, they're created by God, they're Krishna, but it's also Maya. But any thoughts of that? Yeah, well, Illusion. the human mind is Maya. The divine mind is the eternal, the eternal reality. 
but also, you know, the, the, the human mind, it, it could, it could have these powers to manifest and stuff and it could be like God, but at the same time there's limitations and, and maybe, you know, there, there is a quadrant limitations and constraints on it. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that, that, that's certainly that, possible. That, that create the, the, the differentiations of the variabilities of existence in, in relational aspects. But we are, we are like servants helping our mind, which is the actual creator. Whenever our mind wants to do something, we have to do it without any choice. Since beginningless time until now, we have been under the control of our mind without any freedom. But if we now practice Dharma sincerely, we can reverse the situation and gain control of our mind. Only then will we have the real freedom. Within the four Buddhist schools, the Chichamitrans in particular believe that all phenomena, including the world itself, are the same nature as the mind that apprehends them and have no existence outside the mind. Any thoughts on that? No. So they say that if we dream of a mountain, for example, that mountain is, a, is the same nature as the dream mind and has no <coughs> existence outside the mind. <coughs> <clears throat> Any thoughts on that? No. Makes me think of when Jesus said, you know, if you have faith, you can move the mountain. Like, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Says if it existed outside the mind, we would have to say that a huge mountain existed in our small bedroom, which is clearly absurd. They say that just as it is with dream objects, so it is with all phenomena. They are all the same nature as the mind, like a dream mountain. The highest of the four Buddhist schools, any thoughts on that? No. The highest of the four Buddhist schools, the Madhyamika Prasangika school says that all phenomena are merely imputed by mind and have no existence from their own side. The essential point in all these views is that liberation from suffering cannot be found outside the mind. Permanent liberation can be found only by purifying the mind. Therefore, if we want to become free from problems and attain lasting peace and happiness, we need to increase our knowledge and understanding of the mind. Any thoughts? No. The explanation of the mind in this book is in two parts. The first part explains the nature and function of the different types of mind and how we develop and increase knowledge and understanding. First, each type of mind is clearly defined so that it can be correctly identified. And then the different varieties of each type of mind are enumerated and illustrated by examples. There then follows an explanation of how each type of mind is generated. And finally, there is advice on how to apply our understanding of each type of mind to our Dharma practice. These explanations help us to understand how we develop and increase valid knowledge and Dharma realizations. The second part of the book explains primary minds and mental factors. Here, the emphasis is on distinguishing virtuous states of mind. Um, so that we can cultivate the former and abandon the latter. First, there is an explanation of the six primary minds and their relationship to their accompanying mental factors. There then follows an explanation of the definitions, divisions, and functions of each of the 51 mental factors. These explanations help us to control our deluded minds and attain permanent freedom from suffering. Any thoughts? No. So, okay, object possessors. In general, all phenomena, including minds, are objects because they are objects of knowledge. But some objects, namely expressive sounds, persons, and minds, are also object possessors. Besides these three, all other phenomena are only objects and not object possessors. <clears throat> Any thoughts on that? No. 
Definition of object possessor. The definition of object possessor is a functioning thing that expresses or cognizes an object. Division of object possessor. <clears throat> there are three types of object possessor. One, expressive sounds. Two, persons. Three, minds. Expressive sounds are object possessors because they express particular objects. Persons are object possessors because they cognize objects with their minds. <clears throat> and minds are object possessors because their principal function is to cognize objects. Any thoughts? Hello? No, I just hit, I hit the wrong button. I unmute, I muted. Oh, did you hear what I said though? Yeah, I just muted my yeah. sound. Well, so I was going to say like, so he's talking about objects, but you know, your whole transpersonal thing is like, it's just verbs. There is no nouns. There is no objects. It's just verbs. But what, what do you think about this? Any thoughts? <clears throat> well... I don't know. It's, it's still to me makes sense that that everything is just an, an event, yeah. a happening. It's not a noun. It's not an entity. Everything is everything is 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 the eternal idea dancing. So it says as mentioned above. Besides being object possessors, expressive sounds, persons and minds are also objects because they are objects of knowledge. In general, objects and object possessors are mutually dependent because whatever exists is an is an object of mind, and there is no such thing as a mind without an object. More specifically, it is not possible for any of the three types of object possessor to exist without its particular object. Any thoughts there? No. That, that is interesting to think about. Can, can you think of a mind without an object? Like you can't, like someone, someone mentioned this, like you can't think of anything unless there is things, unless there is some sort of differentiations, like any thoughts of that? Well, but see, there's the, the observer is the observed. That whole David Bohm idea. The observer and the observed are the same. And it doesn't. But like, mm -hmm. like try to think about a room or just like empty space. You can't think of empty space. You have to think about something within it almost like, or, or empty space only exists if you can think of like something outside the empty space. Like there needs to be something or some sort of object. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what to say about that. It's like being and non-being, but it says ex understanding the mind, expressive sounds, definition of expressive sound. The definition of expressive sound is an object of hearing that makes it express object understood. Not all sounds are expressive sounds. The sound of the wind or the sound of the rain, for example, do not express any meaning. An expressive sound is necessarily the speech of a person that is produced through the power of the motivation of the person. Sometimes it is possible for the sound of Dharma to arise from the movement of trees in the wind. But in such cases, either that sound is a manifestation of Buddhist speech or it is simply the subjective experience of the hearer. Any thoughts? Yeah, how do, how do we distinguish which is which? Yeah. 
So it is possible to convey a meaning without using sound. For example, by using sign language or by writing, but these are not object possessors and they are not real language. They are representations of language that are methods for understanding something like traffic lights. However, this remains a subject of debate. Any thoughts? No. This is divisions of expressive sound. There are three types of expressive sound. One letters, two names, three phrase, phrases. Letters, definition of letter. The definition of letter is a vocalization that is a basis for the composition of names and phrases. When we say A, this sound is the letter A and it is letters such as this that are the basis for the composition of names and phrases. Letters that appear on paper are not actually letters, but representations of letters. Actual letters <clears throat> are necessarily expressive sounds. In commentary to valid cognition, <clears throat> Dharma Kitra says, letters are generated from motivation. They are sounds produced by mind. Hey, thoughts? Yeah, that's good. It's interesting because I have kind of like synesthesia where I can see the color of people's names. And I, and I wonder if like, yeah, there's a relationship between like color and name and, and all that. Any thoughts? No, that's another, that's a domain of, with which I'm not familiar. Yeah, most people aren't, but there's some people are. So like I say, I guess like 5% five, five of people or maybe less have synesthesia. Mm. <clears throat> it says names, definition of name. The definition of name is an object of hearing that principally expresses the names of a, any phenomena. When we say Peter, the sound is a name. The name Peter depends upon putting together the five letters P, E, T, E, and R. The basis for the composition of the name <clears throat> Peter, therefore, is these five letters. And if any of them is missing, the full name is not produced. Thus, the name of Peter is a collection of several letters. Any thoughts? No. There are two types of name, original names and subse subsequent names. An original name is the name that is originally applied to an object and is the principal name for that object. An example is a name given to a child by his or her parents. A subsequent name is a name that is subsequently applied to an object and is a secondary name of that object. There are two types of subsequent names. Uh, subsequent names based on similarity and subsequent names based on relationship. Examples of the first are nicknames, such as calling someone who resembles a monkey, monkey, or calling someone who looks angelic, angel. And examples of the second are calling the rays of the sun, the, the sun, such as when we say the sun comes into the front room and calling a gray colored horse a gray. The name of an object is not a natural characteristic of that object, but is merely imputed onto that object according to the conventions of a particular language. All objects of knowledge are merely imputed by their names. Therefore, they do not exist from their own side. However, I, I think it's so, it's so interesting how powerful language is and how like humans are the only creatures that, that really have a language, maybe dolphins, or, but you know, may, maybe language is fundamental to reality. Because like even in the Garden of Eden, it was the naming. That's when this stuff happens. Or even like God used the word. But maybe what, what that's trying to imply is that there is something so essential to naming that, cre that creates our experience. That even if, <clears throat> so the question is, does reality exist without us experiencing it? The biocentric view says no. But I think that your view originally was, yes, it does. You know, the supernovas and stuff and it creates it. And, and then we, we emerge as an emergent process and in our, in our minds emerges an emergent process. But it could be the exact opposite. 
Maybe we emerge first and all that is just a dream to make us think of that. Like any thoughts of that? Well, yeah, I think we do emerge first. <laughs> that those things are not a dream. They're just, they're just other dances in the great eternal dance. Any other? No. So it says, all objects of knowledge are merely imputed by their names. Therefore, they do not exist from their own side. However, they do exist because, but you see what I'm saying? Like, I was saying that it might, they might not even exist as dances. Like in the Matrix, you know, Neo, he says that this world was just created like 500 years ago or whatever. And it, and it just, you know, fossils and stuff were put there to make people think that there was a past. And that, that's a part of the dream. It keeps you thinking that it's real. It keeps you thinking that there's a naturalistic explanation when really naturalistic explanations may just be completely farcical. Any thoughts of that? Yeah, that's very probable. <clears throat> but, but at the same time, maybe, maybe in a way that it does exist. It's a chicken and egg question, but maybe they're all simultaneously. And it's, I don't know, any thoughts of that? Yeah, I think they're all simultaneously. So it says, so it says when we see a close friend called Peter, in reality, we see only his body, but still we say there is Peter. <clears throat> in this case, the name Peter is a valid name because, but you see, that's not necessarily true because people will see the body of Peter, but if they have Coppergrass syndrome, they will say that that's not Peter because they don't, they don't have the same emotional valence tied to Peter because their, their emotional part of their brain is not connected. So they say that is Peter, but it's not Peter because they don't have the same emotional. So Peter is not just the physical body. It's also your emotional experience of Peter. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's good. So it says, in this case, the name Peter is a valid name because his body is a valid basis for imputing Peter. For this reason, whenever we see his body, we develop the thought there is Peter. The same can be applied to other persons and indeed to all other phenomena. If we study this subject deeply, we can develop valid knowledge of the two truths, conventional truths and ultimate truths. The valid knowledge is the actual path of liberation from suffering. Any thoughts on that? No. So it says phrases, definition of phrases. The definition of phrases is an object of hearing that indicates a meaning by connecting a name with a predicate. The basis of a phrase is a name, for example, dog. When we add a predicate to a name, such as the dog is black or the dog runs, we create a phrase. Phrases are the basis of all more complex verbal constructions, such as sentences and discourses. Generation of expressive sounds. All expressive sounds are produced through the motivation of a speaker and therefore have their origin in the mind. Any thoughts? No. Names are produced in the dependence upon letters and phrases are produced in dependence upon names. But you know, what's interesting is, is letters are actually sort of an artificial construction. The letters that we use are not necessarily the sounds. So, so linguists will use a different set of letters to denote these different sounds. So when we say A, it's not really ah. That is, you know, you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of artificial, but... I don't know if he knows that, but it says, um, oh, I just, I just lost a spot. One second. So it says all expressive sounds are produced through the motivation of a speaker and therefore have their origin in the mind. Names are produced in dependence upon letters and letters and phrases are produced in dependence upon names. Discourses and commentaries arise in dependence upon collections of many phrases thus all buddha's instructions of sutra and tantra as well as all the commentaries of them are expressive sounds any thoughts 
<laughs> no. Just make you think of like the the Quran, like the 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 Muslims they'll they'll say like there's so much power in the Quran, and they say it's because of the sounds, and they say it's because of the, they they say you have to hear it in Arabic because it's poetic, and the and the in the consonants and the sounds and the vibrations of the Arabic is so pure and perfect, and Muhammad was attached to something, but you know they they, they almost make the Quran divine where they say the Quran existed in the beginning of time with God. It's almost like they're they're equating it with God. Maybe that's again that idea of the word. And somehow, you know, maybe if it, it, maybe that is primordial. Like, any thoughts of that? Yeah. Because if, if we can't experience reality, nope. language is what separates us from the animals. Maybe animals don't have the experience that we have of reality. Maybe the word that which is related to thought is integral to existence, or or and and maybe that's that is what comes first. And and it just appears that there was a past and stuff but that is just an outcome of language trying to create meaning structure trying to create a, a framework of exist trying to create a framework of, of reference that allows for a, a fabricated existence any thoughts of that no so it says application of expressive sounds to dharma practice expressive sounds are very useful because they are the principal means of communication. Our understanding of Dharma is based on listening to teachings and discussing their meanings with others. Moreover, since the written word is based on spoken language, everything we read also depends upon expressive sounds. Expressive sounds, therefore, are essential for our spiritual development. By relying upon the supreme expressive sounds of Dharma instructions, eventually we will attain a realization of the ultimate nature of all phenomena, emptiness. To begin with, we will attain a generic image of emptiness, but through continually meditating on these generic image, image, eventually we will experience a direct realization of emptiness. And through this realization, we will be released from the ocean of samsaric suffering. Any thoughts? No. <laughs> Maybe that's the flow. Yeah, could be. This is in summary, all realizations of sutra and tantra come from the study and practice of the supreme expressive sounds of dharma instruction knowing this we should strive to study and practice dharma sincerely person's definition of person the definition of person is an i imputed in dependence upon any of the five aggregates person being self and i are synonymous the functions of person is to perform actions and experience their results the five aggregates of a person are the aggregate of a form which is a person's body the aggregate of consciousness which is a person's primary mind and the aggregates of feeling, discrimination, and compositional factors, which are a person's secondary minds or mental factors. Any thoughts? No. So I'm thinking like aggregates. Yeah. So there's emotion. That's a part of the quadrant model. There's also think thinking. There's there's the mind. There's also the body, which is physical aspect, which is a part of the emotions, which is part of the hormones and stuff. You know, and, and the neurotransmitters and everything that, that are that are producing these emotions and thoughts. And these are all aspects of it. And, 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 and they also manifest, they, they also facilitate sensations. They're, they're producing sensations and perceptions and beliefs even. Like any thoughts of that? Yeah. So it says here from within the 51 mm -hmm. mental factors, feelings and discrimination are selected and listed as the third and fourth aggregates and the remaining 49 mental factors are included within the fifth aggregate, the aggregate of compositional factors.
From this, we can see that all five aggregates are included within a person's body and mind. The functions of a person to perform actions and experience their results is completely dependent upon the aggregates of feeling and discrimination. If a person lacked discriminations, he or she would not be able to perform actions and without feelings, he or she would not be able to experience the results of any action. It is to highlight this, that these two mental factors are listed separately within the five aggregates. Any thoughts? No. Is the definition of person given here is used by all four Buddhist schools. Through investigating where is the I and what is the I, the lowest Buddhist school, the Vibashikas, believe that they, they find the I to be just the collection of the five, five aggregates. Some Santratikas <clears throat> believe the same as the Vibashikas, whereas others believe the same as the Madhyamika Svantirikas, that the root mental consciousness is the I. The Chittamimritans believe that the consciousness basis of all is the I. The Madhyamika Prasanikas reject all these assertions. They realize that the I is merely imputed independence upon any of its aggregates. If we are satisfied with the merely imputed I, we can say, I am going, I am hungry, and so forth. But if we investigate further, trying to find a substantially existent I that is not a mere imputation, we will find nothing. Any thoughts? No. This is because in reality, all phenomena, including our eye, are merely imputed by mind and do not exist from their own side in the least. Huh. Uh, we, we try to exist in the Okay, so they're saying that these aggregates don't exist without the mind, apparently. So there's a twofold division of persons in Buddhas and non-Buddhas. Another twofold division into ordinary beings and superior beings. And a fivefold division into Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, solitary conquerors, hearers, and migra migrating beings. Generation of persons. As already mentioned, a person is imputed in dependence upon any of the five aggregates. For example, our present self or I is imputed in dependence upon our aggregates of this life. Our aggregates are the basis for imputing our I, and our I is the phenomenon imputed upon them. When our consciousness entered our mother's womb at conception, our gross bodies of this life gradually began to develop, and the assembly of that mind and body became the basis for imputing the self or I of this life. When we emerged from the womb, our parents gave us a name, and we subsequently came to identify with that name. As we pass through life, we assume a number of different identities such as child, adolescent, employee, husband, or wife, or senior citizen. In, such, in each case, the basis is independence upon which this identity is imputed is our aggregates of body and mind and the particular function we are performing. For example, if we qualify as solicitor, others will refer to us as a solicitor, and we will identify ourselves as a solicitor. If we reach retirement age, others will refer to us as a senior citizen, and we will identify ourselves as a senior citizen, and so on. When we die, our consciousness will leave this present body and enter a new body. And that new mind and body will then become the basis for imputing ourself or I for, of the next life. For example, if after death, we take the aggregates of an animal, we will become an animal. <clears throat> and if we take the aggregates of a God, we will become a God. Any thoughts on that? <coughs> mm -hmm. I, I think we know when they say, like, yeah, when you become a God and stuff, you know, they say like you can become Indra, who's the god of, of the skies, or you can become Surya, the god of the sun. Like 
that's what they argue is they and, and that, that kind of like detracts from their godhoodness right because you, you know you think that god would be supreme and you know that that's what they say vishnu is that's what the Hare krishna say krishna is he's the supreme but they, they say like these other gods you can actually be reincarnated as them you can be reincarnated at, if you live a really a tremendous life or whatever you can be reincarnated as you know as the god of the ganges river you know any thoughts of that now the question is, are you reincarnated as the Ganges River or as a God? Are you reincarnated as the sky or as the clouds or as, you know, as the, 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 the star Jupiter, Brispati? Are you reincarnated as him or are you reincarnated as a God who is a part of that? Any thoughts to that? Yeah, <laughs> like, are you reincarnated as, question. as a star? Like, any thoughts to that? No. So it says, since the beginning good of this question. Yeah, so it says, since beginningless time, we have taken countless rebirths, each time developing a new identity upon the basis of the aggregates we have taken. However, if we search for a truly existent person in any of these rebirths, <clears throat> we will try to find one because whatever kind of rebirth we take, ourself or I is merely imputed by thought and dependence upon the aggregates of that life. If we understand this clearly and meditate <clears throat> on this knowledge, it will lead us to a realization of the emptiness of the I or person. Because I know that, you know, people say that you can be, you can reincarnate as a mountain and it, you know, there's also the gods of the mountains. There's a God of the bears, but you know, in, in even in like the Jewish <clears throat> Orthodox Jews say that you can, re, if, if you like live a life in a certain way, you can reincarnate it at, you reincarnate as a brick within a temple. Like each, each of the bricks is, is a soul, has a soul in it. And you can reincarnate it as one of the bricks in, in, in the synagogue so that you can listen because like, like, let's say you for, forsook a Torah study. Well, you might reincarnate as a brick in the synagogue so that you can, you know, be forced to, to listen to Torah study. Like any thoughts of that? Well, see, that may be true, or that may be a a, a, a very influential working premise. <laughs> mm -hmm. Any other thoughts of that? No. So this is application of our understanding of persons to Dharma practice. We need to develop an understanding of both the conventional nature of the person and the ultimate nature of the person. From an understanding of the conventional nature of the person, we will see that the function of a person is to perform actions or karma and to experience the results. Thus, if we accumulate positive karma, we will definitely experience beneficial results. And if we accumulate negative karma, we will definitely experience unpleasant results. In most cases, the results of karma are experienced in future lives. Although the person of our future life who will experience the results of action we have committed in this life will not be the person of this life. Nevertheless, it will be us who experiences those effects. If we deny this, we deny a fundamental principle of Dharma that the results of an action cannot ripen on another person. Therefore, death and rebirth alone do not protect us from the consequences of our actions. By thinking deeply about this, we will make a firm decision to avoid negative actions and perform only positive actions. And we will put this decision into practice in our lives. Any thoughts? No. So again, like I know that the God of, of Saturn is related to karma and stuff, but the God of Saturn's killed in the Mahabharata, his avatar and stuff. And, and I think that, that might be related to the idea that yes, there's karma and you want to be like positive and positive and negative actions and stuff. Okay. But at the same time, you can transcend karma because Karma is based off the illusion that there is a separate self and that there is you and that, there's, and that there is beneficial and, and bad, bad and good actions. But that's based around dualistic thinking, the idea that there is a self and that there is others and that there is, that there is Saturn. 
but if, if we can transcend that, then then karma can be the, the diffused. And that would be Krishna. Yeah. Any thoughts of that? Yeah. It says, yeah. by understanding that the person is merely imputed in dependence upon the aggregates of body and mind and is not to be found anywhere within them, we will come to understand the ultimate nature of the person, emptiness. By familiarizing ourselves in meditation with the emptiness of persons, and in particular with the emptiness of our own self, gradually we will abandon self-grasping, which is the root of all suffering, and eventually we will attain complete freedom from suffering of samsara. Mind. Def any thoughts that? No. Maybe that's what he's, maybe that's what he's that's getting probably, at. So, so, so when he's talking about the emptiness, he's talking about the flow? Yeah, where there's no content or container. Yeah, that's when you're being in the flow. So really quick, Rabbi, let me just tell you his definition of mind. It says definition of mind. The definition of mind is that which is clarity and cognizes. In this definition, clarity refers to the nature of mind and cognizes to the function of mind. Mind is clarity because it always lacks form and because it possesses the actual power to perceive objects. Mind cognizes. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a good, good definition. So if mind perceives objects, so, but there is no objects, as you said. If it's just, so so maybe, again, that's why it is Maya. It's, it's illusion. But at the same time, it's not, because it's pointing to the truth of the quadrant. It's pointing to the higher truth. And Krishna is even behind Maya. Maya is just an aspect of Krishna. But any thoughts on that? Yeah. All right. Okay. Did you enjoy that, Gabriel? Yeah. Very interesting. All right. Okay, oh, later. Oh, hey, Gabriel. Yeah. You want me to send? Did you want me to send you that book? Uh, yeah. Okay. All right, let's go.